0: Bienvenidos al Mestizo Podcast, the show for the mixed people of the mixed church. On this podcast, we explore the complicated challenges of being part of, serving in, and growing a migrant church in the siglo XXI. As first-generation immigrants age out of their leadership and the Mestizo church transitions to the second and third generation, how does the migrant church continue to thrive? What should a migrant church look like today? these questions and more will we explore together with your hosts Emanuel Padilla and la doctora Elizabeth Conde-Fraser. Your hosts are Puerto Rican, so you're going to hear some Spanglish de vez en cuando here on the Mestizo Podcast. It's part of who we are. On this episode, we sit down with Jasmine and Micah Bornet to discuss the themes of their song, Kiss and Water. We'll talk about the generational resistance to black beauty and respectability politics that have shaped their family pattern. So siéntase en casa, make yourself at home, and let's get started. Familia, hello. Welcome to the show.
1: Hello, up, thank you up. for having us.
0: Jasmine, I realized afterwards that the way that intro is written, it makes it sound like you're both <laughs> born in.
2: So, so let's,
0: let's go ahead and correct that right now.
2: I like that, I like that. Yes.
1: <laughs>
0: What's the last name, sister?
1: Rodriguez.
0: Rodriguez, Rodriguez. Yeah, well, welcome. We're glad that you're with us. We all have, um, look, Last episode, if anyone's listened to the last episode of the Mestizo Podcast, you might have heard some pajaritos in the background, some little birdies. Uh, Elizabeth has a few lovely birds that like to visit her while she's recording, so you might hear some of those. And as you already know, when I told you all in previous episodes, uh, I inherited a a lovely little devil named Toby, who, uh, (laughs) who loves to come in and join the conversation occasionally. So if you hear some purring or some meowing, you can uh, you can uh, pray for your brothers. I continue to wrestle with this uh, with this presence in my house.
1: And <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say I have a dog here that likes to walk back and forth. So you know, just, just all the animals,
0: all the animals. It's the uh, it's the it's the animal podcast today, not the mestizo podcast. <laughs> Elizabeth, what's good with you? How are you?
3: I'm good. I'm looking forward to spring. I'm beginning to see a little bit of budding at the very edges of the tips of trees. Hey, that's that beauty.
0: Beauty in the winter season, right? We're we're coming back. Hey, if you're new to the show, welcome to a mixed space, a space where people live in the hyphen, ni da ki ni da ya we like to say. We're excited you're joining us for this, the third season of the Mestizo Podcast where we're dealing with the dynamics that exist between us. It's one thing to talk about specific themes like race or intergenerational conflict, It's another to talk about them within the dynamics of how that's affecting our relationships. Uh, I'll say one other thing before we talk about the dynamics of relationships and family with our two lovely poets and activists that we have with us today. Uh, In case you've missed it, World Out Spoken launched a line of merch that you can buy to support the podcast and also to rock a good fit. Uh, I'd love to recommend to you the one that's called Product of Abuela's Prayer, the crew neck. It is a reminder that we inherit much from our abuelitas that have taught us great theology, profound truths. So you can check that out uh, using the link on the show notes. You can also check it out by going to the World Outspoken website. If you have any questions about the conversation that we have today, don't forget that you can leave us a message at 312-725-2995. That's 312-725-2995. Leave us a 30-second voicemail with your name, city y pregunta, and we'll discuss it at the last episode of the season. You can also submit the question by following the form that's on the link in the show notes. So that's everything from me. Before I continue, I gotta ask, I gotta put Mike on the spot because we're gonna be talking Spanglish here throughout the episode. Uh, how much how much Spanish are you hanging with, brother? What's what's the scale oh, here? One man. to ten.
2: Uh zip zero, Stingy with the Nero. <laughs> like, <you> well, <know, laughs> <son. laughs> I mean, you know, I when I was uh, in middle school, I briefly played in a uh, soccer league. Uh, I was the only uh, non-Latino person. And uh, so I was pretty good for like a couple years. And then I dropped it after that. But my team name was Miguel Hidalgo. So uh, my <laughs> my coach used to lecture us halftime in Spanish. And then he'd have to come give me a one-on-one lecture because I didn't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: fantastic. <laughs> Well, hey, I had a I had a hard time describing two of you together because we've got a poet who's done activist work, who who is uh who is really tied into plugged into the work happening in LA, and then we have a musician, singer songwriter, also doing some activist work. Is that the best way to describe
2: the album y'all did together? What's what's the best way to describe that? Yeah, I mean, you know, we both. I actually. I started doing music first, but more folks know me as a poet. But I met Jasmine through her older brother who I went to college with. And he told me one day, he said, Hey, my little sister is trying to get into music. And he knew I was a songwriter um, and a performer. So he's like, you know, could you like maybe meet up with her and and see, you know, if y'all could write some songs together or help her kind of understand um, like how to get into, into this field? And I was like, sure. So it was crazy. We, we met up once. And honestly, like our first meeting was a pretty powerful connection. And out of that conversation came our first collaboration, which was the song Kissed. And then we just started rocking together ever since. But yeah, so we just friends who met through her brother and we mm-hmm. write songs and perform together. Yeah, that's amazing.
0: Jasmine, I actually want to ask you about that because uh, you live in L.A. now. Obviously, that's where you both are. Uh, you, But you moved there from Grand Rapids, if I'm not mistaken. I understand that your parents, uh, Ma, uh, Mari and Jaime, did I get their names right?
1: Yes, you yeah, did.
0: Mari, Mari and Jaime are still there. Shout out to them. We're, we're hoping that they're listening. Uh, that They moved to Grand Rapids from New York City. So I'm just going to track this back. You're in L.A., parents in Grand Rapids. Y'all are from New York City. Is that where you were born, New York City?
1: Yes. We were all born in All the siblings were born in New York City. And then we all moved when I was two
0: when you were two to grand rapids. Okay. And then your parents are from the DR. Is that right? That's correct. So we've got from LA back to the Dominican Republic and all these places, uh, are part of your story. They're part of your family story. So as we think about the song waters that, that we're going to play, it's going to be in the podcast. People will hear it in a bit, at least, at least the first verse, which is really important. How have these places along your journey, LA, grand rapids, New York, the DR, how do they shape your understanding of who you are?
1: Well, it's, you know, it's interesting because I feel like I've always had a really hard time um, feeling like I belonged anywhere. So, you know, obviously, going back to New York, because I left when I was two, but going back to New York, I felt so different from my cousins and my family. And I didn't know how to navigate that. And then in Michigan, you know, I mean, You know, my story tells itself, you know, I went to four different high schools trying to fit in somewhere and never felt like that that was the case. And so, you know, just as as that unravels, you know, moving here um, with my brother, that was the first time I felt like I was home. And so, you know, then going on this journey of music and finding your place in music and in L.A. is its own. Very interesting journey. So it's always kind of been a theme of my life, like trying to uh, find my place. And I think now I'm, I'm starting to appreciate like, okay, all of these things that have happened in my life made me who I am today. And if I'm being super honest with you, kind of where I'm at right now and what I'm writing about right now is like, do I, I think... I think I've been focused on like, do I like or not like this person that I've become based on everything? Mm. And right now I'm kind of more just like accepting it. Okay, this is who I am. What do I do with this person?
0: That's interesting. As we think about that, this is who I am. I wanna actually look at the first stanza of the song Water together.
4: There is a nation My people came from It is supposed I fumble through the language, father wrote my mother poems, and I wonder, is there a place where I belong, a place where I belong.
0: Uh, so you talk about the discomfort here with the Spanish language. Um, it's that you, I love that line. It's supposed to be my home. The DR is supposed to be my home. What do you mean by the word supposed there?
1: I have, you know, very specific situations. I've been there like two or three times now. And each time I go, you know, it's probably just our culture. I, I'm not really sure. But when I go, it's I, you know, people make a really big deal about my Spanish. People make a really big deal. I had just gotten off the airplane, not even past security and security's like, you're not Dominican because I was saying my name and they could tell i don't have the dominican accent or whatever and so it's just like right away i hadn't even gotten on like actually in dr and they're like you don't belong here this is not who you are and i'm like well it it, it's supposed to be because my blood says so you know so
3: that's interesting because we see that from our, from our standpoint, right? So the minute that I land in Puerto Rico, everybody knows that um, I'm not your everyday Puerto Rican woman because Mm -hmm. I don't dress that way. Right. Um, I don't do my makeup that way. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't have that particular uh, feminine expression that they have there. I have a different feminine expression, one that I've learned to have here so that I can be who I need to be here. Right. Mm-hmm. So the minute I step off the plane, I don't even have to open my mouth. Everybody knows. viene de afuera. You know, you're coming from out there. Yep. Right. And what I've learned over the years, and I don't know if, if this uh, fits, is I needed to hear that from their side as well as mine. Because over the years, when you get to be as old as I am, then – um you not only accept yourself, but you appreciate yourself, right? Accepting is like, you know, you just, okay, so let's just kind of do this. It's more of like a survival with the the angst that you feel inside of yourself with the tension, but appreciating yourself Mm -hmm. is coming to the place where you could see yourself through the lens of, oh, wait, 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 wait. Look at here. Look at what I can do that nobody from this side or that side can do. Look at what I can do. And you can appreciate who you are because you're not exactly home here or not exactly home there, but you're creating a different space of home, right? So when you get to that point, then you're able to look past yourself and ask yourself, what is it with them that they feel that this is an important piece? Why are they... So into, I have to know Spanish. Mm-hmm. I have to this, or I have to that. Or, oh man, you're losing it. You're not really Dominican, right? What's what's that about for them? And it's almost like, when I heard your song, I wanted to hear somebody else singing from the other side in response, mm-hmm. right? Sort of like two parallel pieces where you tell your story and they tell their story. And maybe toward the end, we get to understand the fullness of that story. Because the two of you bring up some really deep things in the story that you tell together. And, you know, we'll be talking more about that. But there's another part of the story, which is the story of our ancestors and why they're coming from where they're coming from.
0: Or even those that are still on the island that are coming from. There's a kind of alienation that happens between, right? I actually want to talk about that in relation to the second stanza of that first verse. We're staying there. And I'm going to ask you both about it, even though it brings up uh, Spanglish and some other pieces. I want to ask you both about it.
4: There is a nation I'm born and raised in. It is supposed to be my home. I am a stranger here in my own land, everyone hears it in my tone, speaking Spanglish with an echo of an island, I don't know, all my features, tell my neighbors I'm too a third to belong, where is the water, where is
0: I listened to the song the first time listening to that stanza, and I had to pause. I couldn't listen to the rest of the song. I had to pause for a minute and deal with myself as I listened to that line. An e- Span- Spanglish with an echo of an island I don't know. You know, it, it's not surprising that, that Black folk have also experienced the kind of othering that happens here for their own kind of language patterns. So I think that we can talk about uh, this for, with both of you. Uh, as you deal with this, this, uh, this idea of having an another language that might be an echo of another place, how have you resisted being othered? I actually want to start with you, Micah, because I'm really interested in how this might be different in your case than it is for us Latinos in the in the conversation.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it is very interesting because, like, as a Black American, uh, and on both sides of my family, I'm descendant of slaves. So there's no recent immigration um, and there weren't really records. So I don't know what the original language of my ancestors was, likely somewhere in West Africa, but I, I'm I'm completely cut off from that, right? And so um, it's interesting because I have this poem called Native Tongue. And when I think of language, that belongs to me and my cultural identity. Um, I think of the way that Black Americans speak English, but that growing up was, was taught, like, this is something we do at home, this is something we do in our communities, but in pretty much every other context, it's If it's not inappropriate it's at least looked down upon like you're dumb if you if you speak ebonics right if you speak this broken english you sound uneducated and you sound dumb and you know when you go for a job interview make sure you don't talk like that make sure not just the vocabulary but even like the way you speak you you turn on the white voice you know what i'm saying like and um and it was this weird thing because this thing that i associated with blackness and family and really the way i felt the most comfortable speaking I also knew that if I spoke like that in school to my teachers or, you know, in professional context or trying to get a job or whatever, that that would work against me, you know? And so um, June Jordan talks about in the, at least the Black American context, to not think of it as slang, but to think of it as the first language of Black people, that this is our native tongue. And then the standardized English is our second language. Right And um, and that really brought, brought dignity to that way of speaking instead of thinking, oh, this is dumb, ignorant, broken. It's actually, um, there's rules to it. It's not just say whatever you want. Like it literally is a language. There's, you can't just use slang however, like these words have definitions. There's different ways to conjugate different terms that aren't in the proper English dictionary. So um, anyway, but I, I always felt that tension between like, all right, like this part of me is not welcomed everywhere in this nation, um, but then there's also that frustration that really, even though it is a version of English, uh, I, English is the only language I have, and it is the language of my oppressors, you know, historically speaking, and that's frustrating. You know, sometimes I I wish I I had another language, but And then just one last comment, as an outsider looking on to like the Hispanic Latino community, I always found it interesting, that dynamic of, I know like from some of my friends and like Jasmine's story that sometimes if if you're Hispanic and you don't speak Spanish, it's like you're less of a whatever, but that always confused me because to me, that's also an oppressor language. Like Spain is in Europe, you know, and these nations in Central and South America Spanish is not the indigenous language. It's just like English in my mouth. So how is there this, it always confused me why there was such an arrogance of, you don't even speak our colonizers language. So you're not really, you know, Dominican or Honduran or whatever. I'm like, I'm, I'm very confused by that. <laughs> yeah. As a black American, it never made sense to me. I'm like, we both ain't speaking what we should have been speaking. Had oppression not happened.
3: You know, it's interesting because, um, what you just mentioned is so important. It speaks of classism in Latin America, Mm
1: -hmm.
3: right? Because remember that in Latin America, you still have indigenous peoples Mm
1: -hmm.
3: and uh, Africans in the diaspora and on all of the different islands of Africans in the diaspora, everyone has their own version of how they mixed the colonizers language with what they kept from the African languages. Mm. Even in Puerto Rico, we have something called poesia negroide, Mm. right? Negroid uh, poetry. And it's poetry with that mix of language, but it's also poetry with the rhythm of the drums Mm. from Africa. And you're a poet, and it's interesting because poets have the liberty to change language to say what you're saying now about language, but in poetry, which is what I love about your song, right? Because you say you say those pieces and you say them in song and you say them better than any scholar. Scholars take too long to say things and they've learned, we, we've learned the language of the academy. And so we have to sound obtuse if we're going to sound intelligent to people in the, in the academy. But you just come right out and say it, the two of you. You just come right out and say what it is, and we hear it, and you're succinct. The metaphors that you create are fabulous, and you do this because you are poets.
1: So this song, Water, that we're talking about, um, Micah wrote the entire thing. So, so basically, you know, how we write is I'm word vomiting my whole life. And then he takes the pieces and he creates the song. What I focus on is the performance of it, you know, remembering that this is not just my story. But it's kind of like what you were saying, Elizabeth, you know, it's everybody's story, whether I'm talking to the people who feel like they don't belong at you know, in their country or here, or whether it's the people that are in their countries and they still feel like they don't belong because they're Mm -hmm. something from, you know, whatever. Everybody I think can relate to this to some extent because we are in a time where you're always missing something. And so when I perform this, I'm remembering everybody. Like I'm I'm remembering that to some degree, everybody can relate to this,
2: you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, like each each piece comes together a little differently, right? But when we sit down to collaborate on a song, I mean, first of all, Jasmine is an awesome writer herself as well and writes plenty of songs, powerful lyrics as well. But this particular one, I took the lead on the lyrics, but it's still a complete collaboration because when we write, we don't go and like jump straight into the lyrics. What we usually do is talk for like an hour or two. Or
4: three
2: and, or four. Yes, And we just... <laughs> Okay. So we'll have a concept. So all right, we want to write about this concept of home or feeling at home. And so then we'll talk about all of our experiences both of us and you know, so she'll tell me her whole story some of which she already said of, you know, not feeling at home anywhere, growing up, you know, as a Dominican in the middle of the Midwest, like not that many folks around there, always being seen as different, but then going to going going to the Dominican and and not being seen as uh, you know, part of you know, there either and not belonging Mm -hmm. there either. And so she's telling me all this. And then I'm thinking about, you know, I don't have a connection to a a particular nation in Africa. My family has been in America for generations after generations, and it still don't feel like home to me. You know, I don't have, I I can't even go to some other place and be like, this is where I'm from originally. I don't know where I'm from originally, but all I know is me and my parents and my grandparents and their grandparents, have all been in America. And yet every part of my life from like childhood on, I'm constantly reminded that I'm not treated like I belong here. Where else do I belong? You know, So it was like this really, again, different stories, but we definitely had some parallels of like, where is home then? Where is home if this Mm -hmm. isn't home? And somewhere else also isn't home. I remember the first time I got to visit West Africa, it was very meaningful to me. I went to Ghana, but it didn't feel like home. You know, in America, I'm like, the difference between black culture and white culture is huge in my head. Like we're so different and there's so much tension. But then I I went to Ghana with a group of white folks and I was American. Like I'm interacting (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I'm like, I'm looking at them and I'm like, yeah, you know, my brother, my sister, whatever. But then we start interacting and I'm like, dang man, in Ghana, I seem to have way more in common with these white Americans than I do with these black Ghanaians who look just like me and my cousins. But like, we have different cultures. It's been centuries. you know. So I was like, yeah. damn, man, I'm in Africa, intrigued, learning history and feeling connected to it in a sense, but it, it definitely didn't feel more like home than America, but America also doesn't feel like home.
0: So it was just <laughs> like, dang. <laughs> you know? So that's really interesting because there's a shared feeling of exile, right? It's mm-hmm. exile that ends up being the kind of thematic hook that ties you two together, right? Mm-hmm. And before Elizabeth teases out, cause I see her, she's itching to, to give that, that theological juice to this.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I, I wanna point out one other, one other thing that I think is worth noting. I think it's really important that we highlight this. It takes, it takes a certain kind of listening ear to write that first stanza and verse about Spanglish, about the DR, about the exile experience, right? Um, I love the articulation of how y'all wrote that song. But I think it's worth noting the poet's listening ear in that, Micah, right? The way in which you listen so that you can tell the story and represent it as faithfully to the point that Jasmine can sing it as her words. Does that make sense? That's very different than when we think about the ways that people talk about justice issues where they're trying to understand the Black experience, but it always feels like an anthropologist examining, you know, like... Like a like an animal planet, right? Like examining something externally, right? From the outside. That's not what, ha- what happened here, right? You listened to the point that you could write that story in a way that she could faithfully sing it.
1: I agree. I'm going to comment on this <laughs> shameless plug to Micah. Just like, that is so true. I think Micah is <clears throat> not here to tell his own story. He's here to tell the story of justice because he'll do this with everybody in his life. Like, whether he writes the song or not, which I'm sure he does write a song about everything that everyone tells him, but um, because he has a good jillion songs, but whether he does that or not, he's listening for that purpose to tell the story of justice. And I think that is super commendable to him because I could have never I don't think I could have ever written that song. And a lot of our songs, you know, um, are like that, where he'll listen to my story and then write it and then if I do the melody, you know, we're collaborating in that way, but a lot of it is Micah just listening and putting himself 1000% in somebody else's shoes.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, that is a skill that I've developed and I've been intentional about, but I do want to say though, like, I think a lot of people like when, when me and Jasmine first, you know, started like kicking it and writing and, and even like touring and performing, because of who I am and the work that I uh, that I create, a lot of my uh, invitations are to justice-oriented events, like justice conferences or fundraisers for nonprofits, et cetera. So she, we started performing together. She'd come with me. And I remember we'd have these conversations because she'd be like, man, you know, like, I haven't like studied justice on a deep level, you know. I don't have any degree in you know decolonization or anything like that, and so um, sometimes there was this feeling like I don't deserve to be here. That she would communicate that to me, and what I told her, and what I'm trying to you know encourage other people to realize, like you don't have to know all of the things. Like your experience speaks, and it is important. And when I started, I didn't start writing about justice when I started writing first rapping and then a couple years later poetry, I was just writing my life. But as a black American, if I'm being honest, if I'm being vulnerable about my experiences, then even though I'm only talking about me and my particular experiences and interactions with the people and friends and community, um, it speaks to things larger than me, even unintentionally. And so I was not, I didn't even have the vocabulary of justice. I just started writing these songs and poems and performing them. And then other people would be like, man, I love how you talk about white supremacy. I love how you talk about, and I'm like, I'm, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just writing what this person said to me or this, this interaction I have with a professor, etc." And so anyways, and so when I'm, when I was listening to Jasmine and being like, yo, like yeah, I may have found the precise words, but this is your story. Like I couldn't have written this song without you. This, wasn't, this was not this friendship, listening to each other and then telling our story and then um, helping people see like, oh, there is a lot. Even though I don't have this degree or all this knowledge, if I have the courage to be vulnerable um, and share what I've been through and what I've experienced, uh, then, uh, then it could connect to someone on a deep level. Um, and then from there, you know, she has continued to go on and write her own songs. I mean, one of the most powerful songs on our project together um, is a song that she wrote completely alone, called "Just Like Them." It's the only song on our joint project that I'm singing on because she wrote it all by herself. And people are consistently like, "Yo, that song," you know. And I'm like, "That's all her." So she she's quite a poet as well.
4: What is love she'd ask as she watched herself get dressed? Wondered if love would
3: come around. This is what both the two of you have, what the two of you do together and what you've just expressed, Micah. You've talked about story. You've talked about naming things in story. You've talked about reflecting and doing, you know, just critical thinking about what are we saying here? You've talked about those those pieces being in conversation with others beyond the two of you where then as community we come together and we recognize things and we echo this story with that one or we continue the naming process, etc. And that's an extremely important pedagogy of community that we can use, things that are outside of classrooms, because, you know, classrooms are designed by the very injustices that you both name in what you sing and what you write, okay? Mm -hmm. And listening is where your true genius comes out. Not everybody can be a poet because you have to be able to capture things in a particular way. Not everybody could do song for the same reason, right? And so you you both have genius, and I hope that you that you can accept that that there's a genius to the two of you. That a degree can't capture your genius is beyond, and you've created this entire pedagogy of empowerment for people.
0: Hey, speaking of empowerment, we're gonna take a break. To, to breathe together. But as we breathe, uh, listeners, I want to invite you to listen to, we're going to play a little excerpt from the song Kissed. It's the second song that we want to talk to Micah and Jasmine about. Uh, we're going to play a little excerpt here, and then we're going to talk about the song together.
4: My mother wants the best for me. I know she's so sincere. so somewhere you know, in her wisdom bowed down to fear she taught me only for
0: We're talking today to poet Micah Borne and we're also talking uh, other poet, second poet, singer-songwriter Jasmine Rodriguez, who uh, has given of her special talent to sing and perform some really powerful music that you've been listening to throughout this episode. The episode's title is Mother Wants What's Best. Uh, that's actually the first line of the song, uh, Kissed, that you've just listened to, of that first verse. This is super personal, this verse. Uh, it's really personal. It's about how your mother's faith, <laughs> even at that line, line, right? Your mother's wisdom, her faith, bowing down to fear. It's being shaped by racism. It's being shaped by things that she's internalized. You have know, that where you say, you know, she taught you to love only that which is fair. What did it take to write this or, or to even to perform it? What, what does it take to tell this story?
1: So kind of going back to, you know, the writing process. um, This was again, a song that Micah wrote, based on me telling my story. And so this was the very first time that we ever met, and decided to write together. Um, He's asking me all about my life. And you know, I'm telling him the deepest, darkest, terrible things that ever happened. And I'm just, you know, telling the stories. And then somehow we got onto the conversation of hair. And that was the only time in the conversation that I broke down in tears. And I was like, wait, what? And I think it was one of those things. I didn't even realize how much it had affected me for, and, you know, mother in the story reflects a lot of women in my life um, of the, you know, my Dominican culture that were telling me, you know, I grew up in salons and only people who grew up, in the salon every Saturday understands how traumatizing this was to get like perms and like do all this stuff every Saturday, like hot weather, hot heat on your face and head and you're it's the worst. So growing up in that environment, you would hear all those women like, Oh yeah, you need to marry like a white guy. You need to, you know, we got to get rid of this situation. You got to perm your hair so that you don't have those curls and all that stuff on your head. Like, So that was the narrative growing up. And I didn't realize how much it affected me and my worth and my, what I thought of myself and so many things until that conversation with Micah that day. And from that moment, he wrote the lyrics. I came up with the melody for most of it. And I think together it tells, it tells that story even, you know, Melodically, it's kind of like fun and it's almost like a fast kind of fun song. And even the guitar part on that. Yeah, it's um, got a bop
0: to it for sure.
1: Because it's, it's confusing. You think what you're doing is a good thing by accepting all of these, you know, accepting what they tell you about yourself. And then you come to realize it's, it's destroying me. And then you get on the other side of that and you're like, Oh wait, I have to, like you were saying, Elizabeth, accept that. And then you get to another point. It's like layer after layer. It's like, there's so many layers to it. And even, I think I've, I still talk to Dominican women to this day and we've all kind of overcome it. Now we're accepting our curly hair and doing, you know, the natural thing, but even still to this day, there's, there's things that you have to deal with. And it's so, it's so small and they come up in different ways. But I think, I think, we will always be revisiting this conversation in different ways, whether it goes to hair or whether it just goes to different features and different things that you didn't realize you weren't accepting, you know, for yourself.
3: Hair is trauma. Oh my gosh. Hair (laughs) is trauma. I mean, we got to name it that way. Hair is trauma. I remember, you know, my father is, is fairer.
0: I'm going to bow out of this part of the conversation because I'm losing my hair. So I don't got much to say on this one. This is all y'all.
3: <laughs> don't act that way. Cause you know, you deal with hair too, mm-hmm. but hair is trauma. I remember my father saying, use a brush, Con cepillo, muchacha, right? You know, use a brush, use a brush on that hair. You know, like to bring it down was his thing, mm-hmm. right? You have this maranta. And maranta was not a positive word about hair. You know what I'm saying? So there were all these words. Yeah. Either made up or that were actually a part of the language that people used despectively to describe hair that wasn't straight. Right, right, and this was constant, constant. Yeah, it didn't stop. Right, and then the com- like my time, the commercial came out where it said, you know, blondes have more fun, kind of thing.
4: Mm.
3: Right. And so it was like, you know, it was the color of your hair. It was the, the the texture of your hair and all of that. And then how they have to pull the hair to blow dry the hair so that it stays straight. I've been to those salons, too. Yes, salons, big time. It's yeah. not just what they talk about, right? And it's constant bombardment, what they talk about. And it's what they talk about. If they're looking at TV, then they're talking about, you know, the women that are on the TV as well. But it's also the constant torture. It almost feels like torture of what of what they're doing to your hair, right? <laughs> just all of that. And then you go outside and there's humidity. And what are you supposed to do? No. All nothing. <laughs> <that laughs> no. Right. Your hair is just going to come out singing Viva Africa anyway. <laughs> Viva <laughs>
0: Africa. I have a question because for both of you. Nobody said
3: Viva Africa in that salon, but your hair went out and <laughs> went Viva Africa. They sang its own song.
0: I got a question for both of you, Elizabeth and Jasmine. Since since this is this is more about you two, Micah, I guess you could speak to it too, man. Like I said, I'm the only one here losing his hair. You you got a full head there, so oh, let, let me ask.
2: My hairline used to be up here. <laughs> <laughs> so we're in, yeah.
0: we're in the same boat. We're in the same boat. Let me ask. You know, a song like this is out now, and and Jasmine, to your point, all these women are starting to 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 uh, to hold their hair naturally, right? To have their hair naturally. Have the conversations changed with your mom? As you, have you? I mean, surely she's heard the song. How has the conversation changed? At least, I mean, you you talked about your dad. I'm sure your mom was involved as well. As things have changed and the people have started to embrace their their uh, their Afro heritage in their hair, how how has the conversation changed? So the
1: conversation has changed in regards to what is acceptable. But I think the, the root of the conversation, no pun intended, um, has not changed. Mm -hmm. I think the standard of beauty is still, uh, still telling the same story because, and I don't think it's, I don't think I can point to the women in my life and say, this is your fault. It's it's such a deep embedded like belief at this point. It's not even just an opinion. It's like, you know, this this is better. We can choose to do something else and that's that's good too, but this is better. And I think, I don't know if, you know, I think we're working towards breaking that, but like I said, the conversation is deeper than hair at that point. So to, to really, you know, get to the root of that, you, you would have to, it's, it's not about preaching like, this is beautiful and this is not, it's like, it, I, I don't even know where the root is. It's like, you have to communicate, a, <laughs> you have to, teach a different belief system from when they're born, when the child is born, because the moment that they are born, there will be a, a million voices telling you so many different things. And if that child does not know why their hair is this way or what their roots represent then they will get lost in the voices the best i think the recent example that i have of this is i just started dating someone who is haitian which is um <laughs> how do i explain this
3: the complete
1: opposite of what i've been told my whole life
3: to. Mm-hmm. because it's it's you're you're told that that they're from the other side
1: Exactly. And specifically Haitian for Dominicans is, you know, they've always kind of clashed a little bit. So um, I love that I'm, I'm here in this place because I have really thought about, okay, his hair. Uh, do I really want to date him? And that was crazy to think about. And I was like, okay, yes. And I told my mom and I told my parents and, you know, you, you can tell there was, okay, the acceptance and then a little bit of hesitation. And then what really, what really hit me was when I would randomly say something about my hair and my boyfriend would say, your hair is literally the best it's such great hair. And I was like, and he would break, he would break it down to me where, and like I said, it's always like different levels. So it's like, I know, Mm -hmm. I know certain things, but then it just hit me again, where it was like, am I gonna communicate, like really communicate to my kids, the importance of of the hair that they have and their roots and their, their culture and their, um, and the story being told through them, everything that comes with it, all of the, you know, not belonging here or there, even if you're in your own country, you know, not knowing where your ancestors come from, like all of that is so important. And it just made me realize, like, I need to figure that out for myself right now, so that I can actually teach that. I was telling Micah many, many times you kind of heard him say, like, I felt like a hypocrite. A lot of times I'd be singing these songs, I would have straight hair, singing this song, I would have uh, I would just get a perm and then go sing this song, you know, and it's, you know, it's important, I think, to realize that, as I'm on this journey, I can still communicate the power that it carries while still figuring out the power that makes sense Mm -hmm. because if i just Mm -hmm. wait until i get it then i might have missed that moment and i think that's just as important as as getting it if that makes any sense
3: yeah because it's a process right yeah so let me comment on a couple of things that you said and then i'm going to ask micah something because of what's in the song too you talked about it being a socialization process and that's exactly what it is it's a socialization process and we start that from the time that the child is born and we're looking down at the child in the crib and we're taking a look at oh let's see what kind of hair he's going to have you know we already start passing our hand through their hair and trying to figure out, you know, what kind of hair they're going to have or we talk about the color of the child, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And we already start making the child, you know, understand certain things even before the child is completely verbal, even before they're verbal, they still understand a great deal. They intuit a lot of what we're saying. And so that, that process begins even before there's consciousness of, of what it is, if that makes sense. Right. And so it's very deeply ingrained. So when I um, when I had a child and she was a girl and my husband's African-American, <laughs> when I had a child, I realized the moment that they gave me my little girl to hold and she was still connected to the umbilical cord. So the umbilical cord's connected to me. I'm holding her. She's looking at me. And the first thing I thought was, oh, my gosh, she's so beautiful. And then the first thing that I thought after that was, I need to be a different woman altogether if I don't want to make her a victim of all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I always made sure that I taught her that she was beautiful and I would name the things about her that were beautiful. She has beautiful skin color she had beautiful hair, she had gorgeous curls. Look at this, not everybody could do this with their curls. This is a gift from God. And I would just name things that way for her. And she began to feel good about who she was. But then she's really smart. By the time she was two, she was asking me about why other people look differently than she did. And so I was like, oh, my God, two years old. I, you know, I thought I'd be having this conversation later than this. Right. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, just like what you just said, you know, where you actually confessed, oh, I thought about his hair and I asked myself, do I want to date him? Yeah. Those are the things that are ingrained in us. Right. And we catch ourselves in that moment. We're like, oh, my God, how can I be thinking this? Right. So, I mean, th- that that was a phenomenal moment when you just said that, you know, here with us, because that's exactly what happens to us. That's exactly what happens to us. So we got to catch ourselves. So even though we say now that I believe X, Mm -hmm. but the socialization process was so deep, we're still doing Y and we're still thinking that way. Okay. So it's that, you know, back and forthness, but we know that we're still moving forward toward Mm -hmm. what we say we want to see happen because we know we have a legacy that we're passing on and we don't want to be passing on the, the things that hurt us. Mm -hmm. right and that's that's got to be just like you said that's got to be a conscious decision Mm -hmm. that's got to be a conscious decision that we make like what is it that we're passing on and what is it that we're not going to pass on to this next generation right Right. and that's really important
2: Supremacy is the enemy, in the enemy Even centuries after slavery Still we tend to think light-skinned girls finer than Ebony Ain't no merit in talking proper Hair ain't good cause it's straight and longer Name ain't bad because it's complex I bet Beyonce got teased at recess Can't you see how they stole our minds? Made us hate on our very own kind? Why we think after all day crimes Everything's better if it's almost white? Rock your cuffs and talk your slang Be proud that you got a unique name Love your black like it's the new thing Treat yourself like it's
4: your birthday
3: You know, Micah, when you're talking about your niece and you're talking about how you had to, you said, I'm sorry for looking at you with colonized eyes. Mm -hmm. How have you decolonized your eyes, right? That's an intentional thought. Yeah. And with that comes a lot. So as you're looking at your next generation, which is your niece, what have you consciously decided to do? So you're sorry. That's a point of repentance. And repentance mm-hmm. is a is a complete turnaround. What was your complete turnaround? And what are your new practices?
2: Yeah. Um, in the same way where, you know, like Jasmine confessing, even now at this point in her life, looking at her boyfriend and being like, Man, I had to think about it, about when it comes to his hair, like those type of things. I think one of the hardest things about uh, growing in the knowledge of this and just how much our minds have been taken over is like, yes, the oppressor uh, was outside oppressing us, but also we have internalized a lot of this. And so now, um, in some senses, we are perpetuating these beliefs within our own community right even and their without,
3: beliefs of hate let's just put it out there
2: absolutely without any white folks around right so and you when, you
3: name it you name it the enemy in the inner me
2: yes yes because I realized um growing up like although I've always been comfortable in my own skin like I never necessarily wished that I as an individual was like fairer skinned or had different hair but especially when it comes to standards of beauty and looking at women particularly, right, with colonized eyes, it was always this like, you know, oh, the mixed girl, you know, the the half whatever, the half Black, half Asian girl with the wavy hair instead of the more tightly knit curls on the head or whatever, That they were the more, more attractive ones, right? The light-skinned Black girl is the one that all the dudes wanted, right? And I grew up in a very diverse neighborhood and school system in that sense. Like there was people of color around me, and even within that and within myself, um, and not just when I was young in middle school, but all the way going up into adulthood in college, like I really had to come to terms with dang, like, regardless of the facial structure or anything else about them that I like when I look at women, the the color of their skin alone, even though I did like black women, it was even within that, it was the fairer skinned black women I usually found myself drawn to. And I was like, and I just really had to ask like, do I actually think that looks better? Or have I just been taught to believe that? It just felt, it felt sadly, it felt so natural to to view it like that, to be drawn to to girls with more wavy hair instead of nappy quote unquote hair, right? But I'm like, but based on what? Just because somebody told me that this is better. And then I really started thinking, but do I, like, I'm looking at like, I don't know, actresses like Lupita, who is gorgeous, you know? But it was like, I just wouldn't even look twice. And it, it really had to be this like confrontation with self. Like, why do I believe this? Even though if you asked me, you know, I had grown to the point where I could be like, yeah, that's wrong. And, you know, all this stuff and white supremacy, blah, blah, blah. But still subconsciously, it was like, if a beautiful dark-skinned woman and a beautiful light-skinned black woman walk into the room, I'm probably going to look at the light-skinned one first. And I was like, dang, (laughs) you know, like, dang, like they're both gorgeous, you know? And, And I think the same thing with the hair, you know, it's not like the message isn't like, cause you could be black and your hair, be straighter than other black folks. Right. You can be black and love your Afro and straighten your hair for other reasons. Right. And it's like, it's not like if you straighten your hair, you're a sellout, but it's getting rid of that that kind of default, like, this is better. You know, like, I'm not pretty unless my hair is straight. When my Afro is up, I look a mess, you know? And, and what I realized is, like Jasmine was saying, um, even if you did grow up in a home that was affirming of whatever type of beauty your body has in your hair and skin texture, um, and your parents gave you all type of affirmations and celebrated who you were just as you were, the second you step outside, and you go to school and some other kid says something because their parents didn't teach them like your parents did. And you're teased for how you look. Or the second you go, like I have a I have a poem um, called um, uh, Normal Hair. And that poem was, it was written by, talk about like, just paying attention and listening. I think when it comes to poetry, people like wait to have these big, amazing, inspiring events, or be deeply in love, or get their heart broken, or see something awesome. But I really think in the same way of listening to people, it's also observing the world around you slowly, just moving through life a little slower. And you'll see so much poetry, you'll see so much injustice in in tiny ways. It's not just white people running around screaming an N-word. I'm at a friend's house. I was staying there um he was white and i was staying there overnight so i took a shower at the time i had a fro i didn't have my locks yet and i i just went to use his shampoo and i looked on the bottle and the bottle said for normal hair and i remember thinking to myself you know i grew up in a house with eight black people i have i'm one of six kids and my parents i'm like my hair is normal in my house what does this mean with all the different hair types and textures in the world how can anything be labeled normal? that like, <laughs> doesn't even make sense. But it was this realization like, oh, I know exactly who this hair product was catered towards. And and then that same company, Garnet Fructis, at the time, this was years ago, they had another product that was formulated for my type of hair. And that bottle said it had three words on it. The first two are just descriptive. They're not the prettiest words, but they're just descriptive. But the third word word I took issue with, So the hair or the shampoo that was formulated for my type of hair is that for dry, frizzy, unmanageable hair. And so I'm like, okay, dry and frizzy, but unmanageable, that's a judgment call, just like normal. And so it's not just what your parents taught you. It's not just your own beliefs. It's literally everything in culture telling you if your hair looks like this, it's normal. If your hair looks like that, it's unmanageable. But not only are they insulting you. But then they're also trying to make money and capitalize off of the insecurity that they just created in you. I'm telling you that your hair is unmanageable. Therefore, you need to buy our product to fix your unmanageable hair. Right? So it's like multifaceted, right? So you're like, you can have the most affirming community and parents you want. You're still bombarded with these messages everywhere in music, in fashion in shampoo bottles you know like you cannot get away from it and that's why what you were talking about the intentionality you have to be intentional because even if you're not you know like if you don't think you're doing anything bad if you're just kind of passively accepting the world that we're born into then you are accepting these ideas because they're everywhere in this world so you have to revolt and rebel against it on purpose or else you're just going to be like, sure, yeah, normal hair. Yeah, my hair, my hair is unmanageable. My hair is not unmanageable. It's dry and frizzy, but I have managed it just fine my entire life. You know, what I'm saying <laughs> like, this is you're really right. important. You're
3: absolutely right. We have to we have to spend our life pointing to those things, mm-hmm. and that's how I felt as a mother mm-hmm. that I had I, I was spending my entire time. Pointing to those pieces and always telling my kids, you see this, this says this, but remember that right? And for everything I was doing that to the point where one one day my son says to me, Ma, can we just like relax? Can we just like relax, mommy? Because you're always on a mission. Right? Yeah, I am on a mission. I want to make sure. I want to make sure that every time that something's coming up against you, that I have a shield up for you and that I'm teaching you how to use that shield, right?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. The process we're talking about is a decolonizing process, right? We haven't given it that name yet, but mm-hmm. if it isn't as obvious to our listeners yet, it's it's a decolonization process, right? That line from, from, from Kiss, right? Uh, white supremacy is the enemy in the inner me. Dear Lord, if that's not talking about uh, decolonizing, right? I Take casting that demon out, right? From inside of us. Let me ask, because I, as I use the spiritual language here of demon, that's that old Pentecostal in me. Uh, let me ask, as, as we turn the conversation, as we wrap up here, as we turn the conversation toward the church, I'm going to ask you all really open-endedly.
2: What should the church learn from your story? I mean, the way I think about it, um, I'm not trying to teach one particular thing, right? I'm just trying to provoke people to think, right? Because I think that's why I like the context of of art, right? Whether it's music or poetry. If I'm just trying to make an argument, right, I can lay out my points. And then as the listener, you get to decide if it was convincing or not. Right? And you're like, oh, I agree or I disagree. No, you lost. That, you didn't make a good argument. But art isn't like that. Art doesn't ask you to agree or disagree with it. Right? So there are people, for example, that I know if I was like, hey, can I talk to you about white supremacy? They'd be like, no, thank you. Can I talk to you about race? Can I talk to you about God? No, thank you. Um, but I can get up at an open mic or I can stand up at a show and I can perform this poem about this bottle of shampoo that said normal hair. And I don't ask people to agree or disagree. I'm just telling you that's what it said. And I'm just telling you I'm black and I'm just sharing my thoughts. And now you're feeling things and maybe you're upset or maybe you're confused, but it's on you to wrestle with whatever you're feeling. I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you a story. Right? So I, I think to me, um, art is not necessarily like this is what you ought to learn from this song I wrote. It's I wrote this song, I opened my heart, I was vulnerable, I was honest, it was uncomfortable for me to write. It might be uncomfortable for you to hear, and do whatever you will with whatever you're feeling. What makes the 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 songs that y'all are talking about that we wrote, what makes them the most powerful is that that radical transparency, you know, that like, dang, you really just said that, right? You just dang you your mama really told you that. I mean my mama did too, but you said it, you know, like, you know, it's like, okay, like, dang, you know, so yeah.
0: Jasmine, what about you?
1: Well, I'm a little triggered when you say church. You know, and I think to answer your question, my answer is communication, just to talk about it, to talk about these things. I think, well, normally in the four wall church community, we're not talking about how these things are affecting us. We read, you are wonderfully made, you know, and then you're like, okay, go, go be happy. And then the next day you take a shower at your friend's house and you read that thing and you're like, well, my hair is not, you know, so it's just like. So the conversation is is what makes the church I think because then you go into your real life with your real people around you and you say you know this is this is what's going on and m- maybe the two people are disagreeing that's
3: still church
0: Elizabeth you have a thought
3: Well unless I truly can appreciate the whiteness in my sister, the blackness in my brother, it just doesn't happen. Because in those as well is the image of God created. And what is it about that? What does it tell us about God? That's the conversation. That's the conversation. And because it tells us that about God, what does it really tell us about ourselves. What do I discover about me? And what do I discover about fulfillment in the truth of how I am, of who I am, and what my purpose is here? That's how I see the conversation evolving, right? And that's where your songs bring us.
0: Micah, Jasmine, thank you for joining us today. We Absolutely. count your, your music a gift. We're big fans of both of you over here at World Outspoken um, uh, to to put people on if they haven't heard and to have people hear more of the backstories of how these things come to be. So thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing your story honestly, such that people can then hear themselves
2: in it as well.
1: Thank you, guys. We appreciate we
2: appreciate it. Yeah, this conversation was, was a blessing to us as well. It, yeah. was, it was great. Appreciate I'm that. I'm
1: like in my head, like thinking of all these things. I'm like reflecting. So this is great,
0: uh, Jasmine. How do they find your music? I know there was a previous artist name. What's the best way to find your music?
1: You know, just just follow me on Instagram, Jasmine Rodriguez, and then this year you'll see some new stuff.
0: Yep. hey, looking forward to it. Well, follow Micah Bourne, follow Jasmine Rodriguez. You can always follow World Outspoken at World Outspoken. Make sure to check
4: check out
2: out, out the project. It's called Songs with Lucy, which was her old artist name. But it's still that's the title of the album is under Michael Borne's Songs with Lucy. All those joints we did together and Kissed is on my album A Time Like This. Thank you, brother. Thank you. If you have any questions about the conversation that we had,
0: remember you can always send us a message at 312 725 2995, 312 725 2995. Leave us a 30 second voicemail with your name, city, y pregunta, and we'll discuss it on the last episode of the season. Elizabeth, you get the last word.
3: You have all just been in the presence of prophets, and we are thankful to God for Micah and Jasmine. As prophets of our community, thank you
0: to both of
4: you. This
2: one goes out to my niece Eliana.
4: This
2: one goes out to my future daughters. For Lucy Jazz and all the Latin folks with afros that don't know they're also black (laughs) For my three sisters and all women of color who had to grow up under European standards of beauty On behalf of black men, we love you We're sorry for looking at you with colonized eyes, but ain't no more divide and conquer Dark skin, light skin and everything in between We see your beauty, we got your back, believe that